Thursday edition of Locked On NBA, Ben Golliver, David Locke. Locke and Golliver on Thursday. Anthony and Adam, I believe, will still bring you tomorrow's show, even though Anthony's Lakers beat Adam's Nuggets. I think they're still on talking uh, purposes, so that'll come to you tomorrow. Uh, also, uh, Rejecting the Screen today has their going ISO interview. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to hear it, but the Peter Vesey going ISO interview was quite something last week. He didn't leave anyone untouched. He uh, went after every single person that has ever existed in the NBA or still exists today, which might be why Peter is thought of as Peter is, so it was quite something. Uh, ben Golliver, how are you? I'm good. I mean, nothing but heaters from Peter Vetsy. You know what I mean? No, he did not. He did not leave anyone out. He got Woj. He got Isaiah Thomas. He got Charles Barkley. He got everybody that covers the NBA on just about every level. Uh, it was something else. Um, let me start with this weird protest concept. Uh, before there were 10 games in the NBA last night, we'll kind of fly through them. There weren't that many that have major moments to them. And then you were up in Sierra Canyon with Bronny. And I'm, I'd be curious to hear about that experience and what that's like. It looked like a madhouse, but what is your thought on what does the NBA do? Like we've had protests before, but I'm not sure we've ever had a protest with a ball that went through the basket that should have counted and didn't. Well, one thing we know for sure is that the Houston Rockets are the last team in the NBA to let that kind of thing go, right? Like, I think there is, you know, kind of dueling philosophies here when it comes to protests. It's either like, look, you, you, you let the game results stand, and if it's annoying, you kind of gripe about it, but you move on. Or you take a philosophical stand and, you know, basically plant your flag like it's Iwo Jima, and we're, you know, going to war with it. And I think the Rockets are obviously in that second camp. I think... Uh, you know, ha- the fact that Harden is involved and he is sort of this lightning rod player at this point, I think only kind of increases the scrutiny on this situation. I mean, I can't think of another guy to be involved in a situation like this that would, uh, you know, maybe get, you know, more conversation or, or back and forth around it than him. I thought the referee's explanation of sort of what happened and how they handled it was pretty weird. They basically put it on, uh, I think, the Rockets coaching staff saying that they didn't, uh, you know, challenge or ask for the review. Uh, you know, in enough of a timely manner, even though they were obviously arguing to play as it happened. So a very fluky situation. Uh, we have seen some games, you know, had to be replayed in the past. I don't know where the NBA uh, comes down on this. I know that there's a report saying that Houston's very optimistic about how this, uh, you know, thing could go through the NBA's process in terms of replaying, you know, the portions of the fourth quarter after the moment that basket was, uh, you know, scored but not counted. Uh, and, and we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, to me, I can empathize with Houston on this one. I think they're getting kind of a lot of criticism or at least, you know, jokes and barbs put their way. They do have a point. And I think, uh, you know, ultimately, if the NBA forces them to replay it, uh, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I think the last time it happened was 2008 when they had the Shaq foul out that wasn't a Shaq foul out. And then I think there okay. is another time in the um, – it was like something in the 80s with Norm Nixon and a free throw. I don't really remember that story as well. But I do remember that in, in a uh, Miami game on the road, Shaq was ruled as fouled out of a game, which he actually didn't foul out. And so they had to go do that game over from the point in which Shaq fouled out. Um, so I guess... Well, it also... I mean, it creates a scheduling problem, too. I mean, trying to find a night to get that game replayed 
when you're trying to avoid back-to-backs and stuff, it's not necessarily easy. I mean, there's been some situations, I guess, where like inclement weather has postponed games, and so you're trying to reschedule that game. And I know it winds up really being a hassle because it adds travel miles for the teams involved. Uh, Arena availability can be a trick and and all sorts of other factors. So uh, this is one of those situations where, like, you know, we all get emails in the morning that, like, oh, I don't want to reply to that. I can promise you there's a lot of people at the NBA League office who are like, God, really? We have to deal with this? This is going to be such an annoyance. Well, the uh, only nice thing is it's Houston and San Antonio, so they're relatively close together in that sense. Um, that they don't have. Oh, to. they could meet half, maybe meet halfway in between, you know, and just kind right. of settle it. Or at least it's a quick flight. It's not like we had a game. <laughs> I was with the Jazz where we had a game, a final game of an East Coast road trip canceled by a New York storm. And so then you're trying, it was our last time going east for the year, if I remember correctly. So you're trying to find a way to put a Washington game in. And it turned out we actually just flew to Washington, like, and cut our all-star break short. Which was a totally, like, was a huge pain. Um, So, yeah, you're right. From a scheduling standpoint, it's brutal. Uh, All right. um, By the way, I almost feel like from a, what about a, a pity standpoint here? Like, San Antonio needs all the wins they can get. Can't Houston spare one, you know, right. for their uh, their old Texas rival? I mean, probably not. I understand uh, why they wouldn't be inclined to do that, uh, but certainly San Antonio needs all the help they can get. Would you, uh, I, I actually felt like that that was San Antonio's kind of little moment to the league saying, we're not quite dead yet. John Hollinger had just done Hollinger and Duncan and started the whole show. Like his number one storyline not being talked about was how bad the Spurs suck. And then all of a sudden, like they win that game. It's like, Hey, we're not entirely done yet. Where do you fall on this? Like, it's interesting. I almost do feel like Harden has become so polarizing. You are either on one side or the other on the Harden camp. Where do you find yourself feeling about James Harden? I think I'm more pro-hearted than most people. You know, I was actually watching that game where he had 60 points in three quarters, and I was sitting there thinking, like, look, the old-school traditionalist in me says you need to get him out probably even earlier than they did bring him out. They, they kind of pulled him at the end of that third quarter. But part of me was like, man, this guy could get 85 or 90 points. Like, it's not inconceivable when you're at home on kind of a holiday weekend in front of your crowd going against a team in the Hawks that just have absolutely nobody who can guard him. And I think unless you've got like two premier wing defenders like the Warriors have had in previous years or the Clippers have right now, he's basically unstoppable at this point. I I actually, you know, get into this, you know, debate with myself is like, has he become the most complete all around scoring threat basically ever? I mean, obviously a better shot than Jordan gets to the rim, uh, physical, uh, deep bag of tricks, incredible handle can make every shot deep range. Uh, I mean, he's definitely in that conversation. And I was always a guy who thought of Kevin Durant as basically the modern challenger to Jordan as the best scorer. And I think Harden has basically surpassed Durant at this point. You know, even putting aside the injury, I just think he can do it in more ways uh, and obviously do it with the pass as well. So um, if that's not enough gushing for you, uh, I'm happy to dig in on the Spurs stuff too, because I think they need to blow up, man. I think it's done. I don't know how you feel on that. I don't know what they can do. I mean, I do think the question with the Spurs is where all their players end up more than where they end up in the standings. So I think I agree with you, but I don't know what they can do to get rid of DeMar DeRozan. And I don't know what they can do to move LaMarcus Aldridge. And then, you know, are they, I I would assume they're not really ready to move DeJounte Murray and like 
Patty Mills, I guess you could probably move, but for what? And is someone going to do something for Rudy Gay? Like, I think it's interesting. I mean, I and and what and with what intention do they move these guys? Are they trying to clear cap space because they think they'll be a free agent destination, which I don't think they would be? Do they try to you know? So I I'm a little lost on what I think the answer would be for them um, if they do move all these guys. Well, I think this is basically my plan. I think you just got to have to say, look, uh, even if they were to get back into the playoff picture, I think they're getting swept in the first round. And I think that they're close enough to the bottom where the idea of a tank is actually, you know, pretty appealing. Like everybody wants to say, oh, Golden State needs to follow that Tim Duncan model and, and kind of tank during this year. I think San Antonio should follow that model too, personally. So I would be trying to trade LaMarcus Aldridge to either, you know, a top tier or a second tier contender, somebody who could rent him for the playoff stretch. I think you can get some picks and hopefully some flexible contracts back from that. I think you just trade DeMar DeRozan as addition by subtraction. I know that's painful to say after you just, you know, basically got him for Kawhi Leonard. To me, he is just in the way of their young players, whether it's DeJounte or, uh, you know, Brid Forbes or, or Derek White or any of those guys, Lonnie Walker, uh, to me, just taking DeMar DeRozan out of that picture is healthier uh, to jumpstart whatever comes next for them. I just don't see him as being a part of that next chapter. So I would trade him even if it required, you know, basically a neutral trade or even maybe throwing in like a light draft pick to get rid of him. I would just do it for the sake of the organization and, and pull the plug and move on. And then I would also do the garage sale thing, like you're mentioning on some of the veterans, you know, I think that there's, there could be somebody who wants Rudy Gay or, or someone else on that roster. And I would try to go forward with a, a younger team uh, that has, you know, less expectations and hopefully a really, really good draft pick coming up in the year. That's how I would play it. I only say that because I see no upside with this group right now, and I think it's time for them to scramble it. Yeah, I just don't know. You know, as as I said, I'm not sure what the answer. I don't think anyone's giving them anything for a $26 million, 34-year-old Demarcus Aldridge who looks like he's fallen off the cliff. Right? Like, Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be one of those. I mean, we kind of said the same thing about Marcus all last year, right? And I think if Memphis was at least able to get something back, and when you have that change of scenery and a different role and you're not feeling like you have to carry the whole weight of a bad team on your shoulders, I do think LaMarcus is a guy, and this goes back to his Portland tenure, uh, you know, his involvement or investment can waver, you know? And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all, just kind of looking from afar, whether just the vibe around this group is like, look, we just don't have it this year. You know, there's a lot of good teams in the West and we're not one of them. I, if I was a GM, like let's say I was in Houston or Dallas or uh, maybe even Miami, you know, one of those teams, I would be talking myself in a little bit to the LaMarcus Reclamation Project, even if it's a, not a long-term commitment, at least trying to add him for a playoff push. One of the things that's going to be really interesting, and I can't imagine why I thought of this tonight, was the trade deadline is you, you aren't going to be able to get teams to drop a, or tr- make a trade for the free agency because there are no free agents. Right, so <laughs> yeah, no, I, no, right. You're not. I hear you. No one's drop gonna. No one's gonna take your player that's not any good on a one year contract to clear eleven million dollars. There's no purpose. And so, yeah, yeah. 
It's interesting. It makes you wonder whether does Rudy Gay, who has 14 years on the million for 2021, actually become appealing in some way because that's a free agent signing for you. You're basically signing him for a one-year $14 million deal when there's a, no free agent market. Patty Mills, I think, is $14 million also, or 13.3. Like, So I wonder if there's some level where because there are just not going to be any good free agents that are out there for this upcoming year, that suddenly you end up with teams making different types of deals, but you're certainly not getting the one-year salary dumps to clear money so that you can go sign Anthony Davis or, Andre, you know, Andre Drummond is probably not a center that you're clearing money to go get, nor is Otto Porter with his nine games played. Yeah, and the other question, too, is, like, how many sellers are going to, are there going to be at the deadline, right? Like, the West hasn't completely separated from that middle tier. There's still a whole bunch of teams who are in the playoff mix. Uh, you know, teams that have typically like shed salary and dumped guys in the past, like, you know, I'm looking at the Phoenix Suns. Um, I, I'm not sure that's going to be their strategy this year. And I think, you know, there's pressure on other teams, like say the Portland Trailblazers to, uh, you know, basically be buyers rather than sellers in that situation. So it could open up an opportunity for San Antonio to, to be able to to swing a deal, just, you know, to help a playoff team fill some holes like here or there. I think a lot of the other, you know, dregs of the Western Conference are just sort of retooling teams that maybe don't have a lot of veteran talent. Um, and the Eastern Conference, uh, you know, the teams that we kind of thought were bad, you know, pretty young and, and talent deficient. They're not necessarily veteran organizations. I, I'm not sure they're going to be, uh, you know, really necessarily looking to be like big time sellers of the deadline either. He's Ben Golliver, Washington Post. I'm David Locke. It's the Thursday edition of Locked on and NBA Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world as you travel. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on. Use the promo code locked on during checkout. If you are not available right now to write that down, make sure you go to locked on sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockedonpodcast.com slash offers to get all of that. Ben Golliver spent the day up at Sierra Canyon with Bronny, LeBron's son. What is that show like? We'll find out and then we'll run around the NBA from last night. It's all coming up on Locked On NBA. Sierra Canyon, which is the basketball factory of the country right now, has LeBron James' son, Bronny, amongst others. Ben, you spent some time up there. Uh, let me start with some basics. What is the size of the gym? Like, what are they, and what is the scene that they're playing in front of? That's uh, a great question. Well, so first of all, with the school, it's located outside of Los Angeles, kind of in the valley. So it's a little bit out of the way. Uh, and it's not necessarily what you would think of when you think of like the best basketball program uh, in the country. You know, it, it's almost like an oasis a little bit for celebrities like Kylie and Kendall Jenner went there. Will Smith's daughter went there. It was actually started as like an arts oriented high school an academic oriented high school. And the sports thing has really just taken on a life of its own here over the last five, six, or seven years. The gym seats about a thousand people. It's, uh, you know, your typical high school gym. It is it, relatively new. Um, and you know, it's, it's clean and immaculate. There's no question. Um, they're going to get so many fans coming to their games, though. They're going to be playing at a local college, Cal state Northridge uh, for a bunch of times uh, here this season. To me, the most fascinating part about these guys, this school kind of prides itself on being like the high school version of a Duke or a Stanford where they're mixing high-end academics with high-end athletics. And the fascinating thing to me is these guys travel uh, like a college team too. I mean, they're going to be all over the country uh, this year. They're going to be going to Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nevada, Ohio, Arizona, New Jersey. They were already in Texas. 
So this is basically a college team, uh, you know, in high school form. Now with Bronny, he is, even though he's not their best player because he's only a freshman and he's 6'2", and he hasn't totally grown yet, uh, he is an absolute phenomenon. I mean, more than 3 million followers on Instagram. There was probably 10 video cameras tracking his every mood, uh, move before the game. Uh, you know, certainly there's a, a video crew from Uninterrupted, LeBron's company, that's sort of following the team all season long. Uh, and so it, it's a situation where like a lot of celebrity and, you know, a lot of resources and wealth have kind of come together to create this team that, uh, you know, is not your, your uncle's or your, or your grandfather's high school basketball program. So Zaire uh, Wade, uh, Dwayne Wade's son is there as well. Um, I think there's like about a thousand kids in the school. So are they, they're not pay- playing the biggest schools in Southern California, I'm assuming, if it's a private school. So, like, what do they do well, for competition? Yeah, so, no, no, that's that, that's the tricky thing. Because they're independent, because they're basically all completely self-financed, they can play just about everyone. So they've got a lot of high-profile showcase games against, you know, powerhouses in other states, and they're actually going to play against LeBron James's alma mater, St. Vincent, St. Mary, uh, later this season as just sort of one example uh, but they, they're going to be on uh, ESPN, uh, either the, the TV networks or the streaming services 15 times this year. That's an unprecedented number for a high school program. A lot of that interest is generated by Bronny and Zaire Way, like you mentioned. They also have two top 10 recruits on their team this year. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, one of them is going to Kentucky. So there's a lot of reasons, you know, for the interest this year. The program's won the last two state titles in California. So they can basically play anyone because of their independent status. And that's really helped them land these top talents too. Even though they're a smaller school that really can focus on like, you know, the academic environment. I mean, there's only an average of like 15 uh, kids per class. I mean, it's, it's that kind of a, a college preparatory environment. They're able to basically do kind of whatever they want, you know, from a, a media standpoint, from a travel standpoint uh, and from a competition standpoint. And, you know, frankly, the players seem to be eating it up. They don't see o- overwhelmed by the cameras at all. You know, Zaire Wade was on the court doing pregame interviews. Uh, you know, they've taken media training. They had a media day uh, before the season started. You know, frankly, they even went to China for a bonding trip before the Lakers went to China this year. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, pro, it's a professional high school team or a, a high-level college team kind of placed into a high school environment. I'm sure there's a lot of parents out there whose head is just spinning, you know, like hearing uh, these details. But I think for the NBA players like LeBron James or even Scottie Pippen or Kenyon Martin, who had players or had their sons, you know, play for this team last year, I think they want the absolute best for their kids. And this is just sort of where the arms race has gotten to, right? Uh, You know, you have to be able to, you know, give your kids the visibility and the showcase. Uh, and the opportunity to sort of build their brands, as crazy as that sounds for 15-year-olds, I think that's just a fact of their life right now. I don't know what I think. (laughs) So, like, I mean, I actually have a 17-year-old son who's basically in a ski academy. So if there was interest there, you know, he travels all across the country and all across the world to ski. Like, he's been to Italy and Chile this year. Um, so to some extent, like who am I to be criticizing this, right? He's basically a professional athlete. He's got two coaches and strength and conditioning coach, and we pay stupid amount of money for it. And like, who, like, what am I to say? Like, like, but on the other end, it's like, 
the when you said the arm, it was I was like all fine until you said the arms race, and then we really have like reached the point where we've lost such control that the arms race is in high school, and now everyone's trying to keep up, and then went and like and so if that's the case, then where are we going? Well, yeah, I mean that was a question that I asked some of the staffers up there, and they're like, look, if twenty years ago LeBron didn't get on ESPN until his senior year, and in Bronny's freshman year he's going to be on you know, an ESPN platform at least 15 times and his clips are getting millions of views whenever they go up. Uh, you know, what's to stop, you know, almost like a league pass version in a few years of Sierra Canyon's games, right? Where you're paying some subscription fee and you get to watch every single game. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, it's enough of a wild, wild west where sort of the sky is the limit. Um, and it's just fascinating to me that the guy who sort of really kicked off this era is LeBron. And now over the last 20 years, he's sort of, you know, been able to avoid with his own son some of the pitfalls that he fell into as a high school player. I mean, remember the Hummer incident, uh, the throwback jerseys that were gifted to him. I mean, he really had to navigate a lot when he was in high school. And I think now that he's a father, he's been able to really put Bronny in a situation where he doesn't have to deal with any of those kinds of uh, nonsense. He can just live a life that's actually not that difficult from an NBA player's life uh, at 15 years old. So uh, I can understand it from the parent's standpoint, like you know, a competitive parent who wants the best for their kid. I can understand for a lot of parents who say, look, this is just not what I want for my kid. It's way too much too soon. I want them to, to be you know, kids as opposed to sort of like future professionals. Uh, I, I can see both sides. I'm not necessarily rendering judgment, uh, but I just do think that it's a, a fascinating development. And look, Bronny's only a freshman, right? I mean, if this kid turns into a top 10 type prospect by the time he's a junior or a senior, uh, the the craziness will be magnified much, much more than it already is. Well, and the thing about about Bronny is you wonder whether he's going to be the first athlete gets drafted differently because he has 8 million Instagram followers. <laughs> right? No, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I, 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 mean, I, I think he's sure. going to be drafted. Would say- I, I think he's going to be drafted differently because the way I understand things, I think LeBron has structured his deals so LeBron can leave the Lakers and go wherever he wants at that point so he can go play with Bronny. Yeah, I'm all in on the Ken Griffey Jr., you know, Ken Griffey Sr. Uh, comparisons. I've thought that that would happen for years. Uh, when you watch the way that LeBron sort of markets him, uh, you know, on his own Instagram account. I mean, it really seems like that's sort of, you know, this direction that it's heading. I mean, their their father-son bond is, is really something special. The one thing I did like, though, is the coach told me that LeBron is not the overbearing dad, okay? He, he's on the live streams watching highlight clips of his kid, but he's not calling to say, hey, he needs more playing time or, or you, know, you know, change up your strategy uh, here and there. So I think that's a, a good sign. But in terms of the puppet master stuff, I absolutely think that they're going to be playing together at some point in the NBA. Um, And I think, you know, from that standpoint, I really hope that Bronny's ready for that, you know, because the NBA is no joke. You know, there's a lot of talented basketball players who can't make it. He will be in a situation to, uh, you know, to me, I think he has like a standing offer at Duke, I believe. I think he probably has a standing offer from a lot of NBA teams when you really think about it. Uh, You know, the, the marketing opportunities that are involved there. Uh, and I just hope that his game gets to the point where he is comfortable and able to compete on that level, because otherwise I can, I, I think that would be unfair to him in a certain way. It'd be interesting to see I, the great Fred McLeod who passed away Cleveland Cavaliers announcer. Um, I think about three or four years ago, I said, what do you think he's going to do? He goes, I don't know where he's playing next, but he's playing with Bronny when it's over. 
I was like, what? <laughs> Bronny was like sixth grade when he said this. I was like, what? He's like, yep. He's going to play with Bronny. So um, I do think he is. Well, all right. We'll run around in the NBA uh, as we continue with Ben Golliver on Lockdown NBA. Audible is a got a great holiday gift for you, or if you just want Audible for yourself, Audible's got the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook, two audio Audible originals, absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash NBA. Right now, if you do not are listening on the go and you can't remember this, then go to Lockdown Sponsors at LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. That's LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. Um, do we have a separation? To what extent do you think we have a separation taking place here with the Lakers and the Bucks and the rest of the NBA? Bucks win yeah, 127 the 103, yeah. and the Lakers blow out the Jazz last night, both on the road, both just crushing people. Yeah, I would throw the Clippers in there too. I know their record's not quite the same, um, and their road record is, is definitely different than maybe those other two teams, but. When I start to say, okay, which teams do I actually believe can win the title this year, given sort of, you know, their current health, I see those three teams, then everybody else kind of has to convince me, right? Like, I definitely could see Milwaukee, L.A., and the other L.A. team uh, being there at the end of it. Uh, I've got doubts about everyone else. Uh, The Lakers' strong start to me, uh, I know it gets a lot of attention everywhere, but it almost – to me, it feels like the biggest story of the year. When we compare them to what they were last year, especially what they were down the stretch of last year with the Magic Johnson fiasco, uh, the trade rumors, uh, yeah, even like Brandon Ingram's blood clots, Lonzo Ball, his games disappearing. I mean, so many question marks. For them to come out this solid, to take care of a lot of, uh, you know, take care of all of their easy opponents and score a couple of quality wins along the way, have Anthony Davis just hit the ground running like he has, and then have LeBron basically playing at an MVP level. Uh, even in their wildest dreams, I wonder if guys like Rob Polinka and Rich Paul and LeBron saw this season playing out like it has. They're so long, so powerful, so amazing defensively. Howard, McGee, Anthony Davis, LeBron. I mean, it's ridiculous to watch them. Avery Bradley's not even playing right now. And then you just add the fact they have two unguardable players. No, and it's matchups and shooters all over the court, too. I mean, I think that, you know, they've got threats, you know, pretty much everywhere. I think LeBron has done a nice job of empowering the role players. I mean, you see, I mean, he is practically a coach on the court to Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope at this uh, you know, point of their career. So he's just constantly mentoring him. But as long as that guy's hitting some shots every once in a while, you know, Danny Green's going to be Danny Green. You know what you get from him. Uh, Caruso has, has given them really quality minutes. I thought their depth was a question mark coming into the season, but like you're mentioning, I think because, you know, it's a little bit different this year without that golden state, you know, death lineup, like super crazy small ball look that could kind of force, you know, certain guys off the court and they're getting quality minutes from all their bigs, even guys who aren't the most versatile. Um, and they're not necessarily stretch guys. Like you mentioned, Howard and McGee, that enables them to hey, keep those guys hey, on the hey, court. Hey, Dwight Howard hit a three tonight. Oh, my gosh. Well, stop the presses, you know, for sure. But you know what I mean. Like, these are, like, typical guys that you would just kind of write off a few years ago and say, look, you know, they could do whatever they want now. They're not going to matter in the playoffs. I think they're going to be able to survive okay in the playoffs this year. Um, 
Carmelo Anthony Revival Tour. He had 20 points, five rebounds, the NBA Player of the Week. CJ had 33. Dame had 24. Portland 127-116 over Sacramento was the late game. Are you stunned that Carmelo is a viable NBA player after basically being played out of the playoff series at Oklahoma City and then being a mess in Houston? For sure. I mean, he looks like he's in better shape. Uh, he's found a pretty decent fit in Portland, so credit to them for taking the risk. I think there's too much hype here, though. You know, I think that some of his strong play was coming against really weak competition. I think you should get an asterisk if you're putting up big numbers against Lowry Markinen. You know, I'm not sure those numbers should count. I certainly don't think they should be worthy of uh, player of the week honors. Uh, so I still want to see more from Melo until I'm convinced. I know that his very passionate, diehard fan base uh, has just been waiting to kind of spike the football and, and do a, celebra- a celebration victory dance for how well he's played here over the uh, first couple of weeks. I'm still in the, like, you know, pump, your, pump the brakes, you know, hold your horses camp uh, when it comes to Carmelo. Are you surprised Laurie Markkinen's not better? Uh, look, to me, they got to change coaches. You know, I, I thought they had to change coaches last year. Uh, you, you look at the body language on the court, the effort level, the togetherness, the strategies, all of it doesn't really make sense to me. I feel like there's enough guys on that team where if they ever did change coaches, you'd, you'd see some bounce back. Or if you took some of those players, they were traded, and then all of a sudden they were on their second team, they would look a lot better on a second team. I think that they're, you know, frankly, squandering a lot of talent there in Chicago. I think he's one of the guys. Uh, but he came in as not the most well-rounded prospect. You know, there was questions about his toughness, defense, rebounding. Obviously, the shooting ability was there, but people wanted to see him handle it a little bit more. Um, I haven't seen the type of progress from him that I was hoping for this year. You know, I, I don't mean that like I'm wildly disappointed. I didn't have the, the world's biggest expectations for him, but he should be better than he is. They did beat uh, Memphis last night, 106-99. Other, not a lot of games that really moved the meter last night. Charlotte beat the Warriors. Orlando beat Phoenix. Baltimore, or Baltimore, Brooklyn beat Atlanta. And Atlanta just really just not defend, but the John Collins obviously is a part of that. It's just stunning. Trey Young had 39 more points. I'm actually finding myself finding the Trey Young numbers to be meaningless as they just allow 130 every night, and it makes me wonder. Um I, I know he's great, but do you feel that at all? Am I the only one having that vibe? I know there's this love affair going on with Trey Young and that Luca is Lucas, but Lucas feels so legit. He's carrying this team to these amazing wins, and they're the second best team in the league recently. And Trey Young's doing this and is not playing with many other players, and I get it, but they're, when you lose by 15 every night, it makes me wonder a little bit. Well, I appreciate your, your boldness and your confidence stepping out there on the anti-Trey Young Island. That's there, not a... Not whoa, 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 Don't build me a house on an island that doesn't exist. I'm just saying right. I feel it's a little empty. Well, here's what I'm saying. Don't compare Trey Young and Luca in the same sentence, right? I think Luca has been like a legit MVP candidate, right? And so and he passes every test. I mean, amazing team offensive efficiency, amazing numbers for him, uh, winning record, tough conference, all of it. Uh, for Trey Young, coming into this season, I worried if we were getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with the Hawks. I know some people were pretty excited about them. Uh, they just seemed too young to me. And then the Collins thing was just a, a disaster, uh, and I think, you know, maybe there was more attention to Aiden for his suspension because he was the number one pick. To me, the Collins one's even more inexcusable. Like, he's been in the NBA. He's been an established player. 
he's a foundational guy for them. I mean, he's a player who could maybe even get, you know, a max rookie extension uh, at some point down the road based on how important he is to them and, and the kinds of numbers that he puts up. You can't be taking yourself out of a, a season for as long as he did by making a stupid decision with your off-season regimen. So, um, you know, before I'm going to criticize uh, Trey for, you know, his very poor defense, which is still very poor, uh, and for his inability to kind of translate what he's doing to team success, I would point the finger at John Collins personally. Now, the eye test for me, offensively, I still love Trey. I think he's a really special, gifted player. I think he's got a case uh, to be an all-star this year. Uh, but, you know, the, the defense is still an issue, and they're just, you know, too young at this point to really do it, you know, from a team standpoint and kind of cover up for his weaknesses. All right. I don't think there was much else to jump on from last night. Um, Lakers and Bucks are both just really, really good. Boston did beat Miami. I have a new number I want. I would like to know the record of teams on a back-to-back leaving Toronto. <laughs> it takes so long. It takes so long. So that would be my next one for you. Uh, Luca, by the way, did have 22, 7, and 6, so he had a bad night, and Dallas beats Minnesota 121-114. He's Ben Golliver. Get him at the Washington Post, and how do they get your weekly newsletter? Go to my Twitter page, at Ben Golliver. I have a link on top now. You can just click it, easy sign up. It's free. It comes to you every Monday. And I'm David Locke. You can follow me on Twitter at Locked on Sports. This is Locked on NBA. Anthony and Adam will be with you tomorrow. Rejecting the screens got the going ISO episode up, so why don't you take a minute and say, tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of podcast, Rejecting the Screen. Have a great one. Talk to you soon.